Good morning. In today's headlines, multiple tornadoes reported in Illinois last night, and Vermont's National Guard digs in and prepares for more flooding. While residents in New York's Hudson Valley deal with the aftermath of flash floods, Entity was on the scene to find out more. No deal in Hollywood as a midnight Wednesday deadline passes. A joint actors and writer strike would be the first in over 60 years. Elon Musk launches a new company. He wants to create an artificial intelligence that tries to understand the true nature of the universe. We have details on the startup. Have you used H and R Block? If so, your data may have been shared with Google without your consent for targeted ads. Learn more about what may be in store for tax companies that potentially broke the law. And an angry otter has repeatedly stolen surfboards from riders in California. Stay informed on America's most wanted furry bandit. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, July 13th, and it's pretty alarming how much data big tech has of us. I mean, tax information is not something I had on my radar, but I can't say I'm surprised. Oh, yeah. And when these lawmakers said that these tax companies acted with shockingly careless intent when they were treating these tax data. Well, let's see what's going to happen, right? You have an interview coming up, so stay tuned for that. Yes, definitely. But right now, we're going to keep you informed on what impact Mother Nature is having on the Northeast. Vermont's National Guard is gearing up for more flooding and rescue operations. Historic rainfall caused flash flooding in the state. Guard members are monitoring water levels in overflowing dams around the state. The tactical military vehicle they use has been instrumental in rescue efforts. It can drive through deep waters and tow stuck motorists. Vermont and other northeastern states have barely had time to recover from recent flooding. The National Weather Service has now forecast more heavy rainfall across parts of New England, where rivers and streams are already running high. Vermont officials say the flooding is the worst since Hurricane Irene. The tropical storm in 2011 caused around $750 million in damages and seven deaths in the state. Here's what one National Guard sergeant said about the preparations being made. Some of the things that we aid in might be as simple as filling sandbags to prevent more flooding in this case, um, or things like we have been doing. In just the last 24 hours, we have rescued uh, 28 people from flood zones and brought them to safety. So we really focus on going out to prevent and mitigate anything that could possibly happen later on. And that's really the big, big thing. So right now we want to see where the water levels are at and um, hopefully they're good and they stay that way. And residents in New York's Hudson Valley are still dealing with the aftermath of flash flooding from last weekend. NTD's Chris Beers was on the scene to find out how people in the community are doing. Let's take a look. I'm here in Highland Falls, New York, where flash flooding absolutely devastated this small town. Floodwaters came through this lot over here, across this street, jettisoning wood and other debris through this fence, ripping it down. You can see it over here. That wood and the water from the floods actually moved some of these cars over here. And you can see how that wood is now lodged underneath the vehicles. And this kind of scene is repeated all through this downtown area. 
Now, the community came together to respond to this event in a heartwarming way. We went to a local church where community members and first responders partnered up to address the crisis. Let's hear from some local residents as well as some of the first responders. Were you here on Sunday when the rain started? Yes, I was actually in my apartment watching the water roll on down the street, watch garbage cans and toys just go by me, yes. Right now there's people from Red Cross, we're calling people from FEMA, just to try and get some help because a lot of insurances aren't covering the floods, the flood damage, so people are kind of left, you know, with damages and stuff that they can't replace. So we're hoping that FEMA comes through and helps people out so they can get back on their feet. I know we serviced well over 300 vehicles getting supplies. We have people staying here that lost their homes and people who are continuing to come here and realize they have a place to stay because a lot of people just think it's supplies only, but we have a whole, uh, Red Cross has a whole setup inside. You can sleep, we've got hot food coming in three times a day and snacks in between. So we're trying to make sure nobody goes without anything. So it's certainly, it's certainly a traumatic experience. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's tolling both on the workers and the, and the folks who are here. Um, it really does take the community as a whole to recover from these type of events. So it's really nice to see how well the community here has, has come together for each other in their time of need. On Sunday, the National Weather Service declared a flash flood emergency in Orange County where Highland Falls is located, as well as Rockland, Putnam, and Westchester counties in what has been called a once in 1,000 year flood. One woman even died as she was walking her dog. She was swept away by floodwaters nearby. The historic Popolopan Bridge, which is 100 years old, just nearby, was badly damaged, even though it's weathered many a storm. I'm Chris Beers, reporting from Highland Falls, New York, with NTD News. Multiple tornadoes were reported in Illinois last night. Storms brought heavy winds and rain through the prairie state. First responders reported downed trees and power lines and roof damage. Several homes were damaged in the storm, and a warehouse west of Chicago O'Hare Airport was wrecked. The severe weather forced ground stops at both Chicago airports, causing thousands of air travelers to shelter in place for a time. The National Weather Service tracked at least five reports of possible tornadoes. Reports were centered in Cook, DuPage, Kane, and McHenry counties. The most extensive damage reported was in Elgin. Two IRS whistleblowers will testify before the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability next week. That's over allegations of influence peddling schemes by the Biden family. Committee Chair James Comer says the whistleblowers will also testify on alleged misconduct at the Justice Department and IRS in regards to the Hunter Biden investigation. Both whistleblowers worked on the Hunter Biden case for years. They say they repeatedly tried to internally address their concerns, but were ignored. Comer says thousands of financial records show the Biden family set up over 20 shell companies and engaged in intentionally complicated financial transactions with foreign adversaries. He says there was a concerted effort to hide payments and avoid scrutiny. The hearing is scheduled for next Wednesday and starts at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. New information the, in the so-called cocaine gate scandal at the White House. The Secret Service has unexpectedly moved up a scheduled briefing for lawmakers. It will now meet them in a secure room normally reserved for classified intelligence briefings later today. The update to the House Oversight Committee had originally been planned later in July. Committee Chairman James Comer opened an investigation after the cocaine was discovered. 
The White House was temporarily evacuated after the illicit contraband was found. Just the News reported it had information from an anonymous law enforcement officer. The officer says the Secret Service moved up the briefing after fingerprint and DNA analysis was ordered on the evidence. FBI Director Christopher Wray defended his agency yesterday against accusations from Republicans. House Judiciary Committee members raised concerns the FBI is fostering a political agenda. Entity's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more details. Republican members of the committee believe the agency is weaponized against the American people and cited what they call illegal scrutiny of conservatives, while Democrat members viewed the hearings as an attempt by Republicans to further discredit the agency and hold it accountable for investigating a former president. My Republican colleagues seem to believe that a former president similarly cannot be indicted. Uh, that would effectively make a president above the law. Democrat members highlighted the FBI's dedication to following the law before it searched former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Over and over again, the FBI delayed and showed unprecedented uh, caution before investigating the ex-president, even when there was a potential threat uh, to national security. Ray also defended the work of the FBI. The work the men and women of the FBI do to protect the American people goes way beyond the one or two investigations that seem to capture all the headlines. But one Republican member said the FBI is being used as a political tool by the Biden administration. He pointed to language in a recent federal court ruling that blocked the administration and the FBI from directing social media companies to suppress free speech. The evidence shows the FBI threatened adverse consequences to social media companies that they did not comply with its censorship request. The House Oversight Committee has been investigating President Biden's family over allegations of illicit international business dealings. Last month, the committee threatened to hold Ray in contempt of Congress for withholding information that could potentially implicate Biden. Republican Representative Matt Gates asked, Are you protecting the Bidens? Ian Sams, White House spokesperson for oversight and investigations, said in a statement that House Republicans have decided that the only law enforcement they like is law enforcement that suits their own partisan political agenda. Other topics of discussion included whether the FBI can purchase Americans' location data without a warrant, whether the FBI was present at the Capitol during the January 6th breach, and why a field office opened an investigation of Catholic churches. Evelyn? Are U.S. companies complicit in Communist China's human rights abuses? Decades ago, Washington established trade ties with the communist nation, hoping that democracy would arrive at its shores through free trade. But lawmakers are now flagging concerns. Entity Sam Wang was on Capitol Hill. The Congressional Executive Commission on China is looking into U.S. businesses' complicity in China's human rights abuse. How can the biggest dictatorship in the world, China, can control a 100% American-made company and fire a U.S. citizen? The man speaking is Annis Cantor Freedom, a former NBA player blacklisted for his activism against China's persecution of Tibetans and Uyghurs. He said that he was criticized by the League for wearing shoes with messages condemning Beijing's human rights abuse. Freedom told NTD that there's profits involved in the NBA's tie with China. And when you talk about China, it is hitting their pocket because when I talk about it, the China canceled every Boston Celtics game on uh, television and that cost the NBA so much money. 
Representative Chris Smith, chairman of the panel, said that the NBA will be invited to testify in front of Congress. I spoke with Smith after the hearing, and he told me that the Basketball League isn't the only corporation complicit in China's malpractice. Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Cisco have been part of the problem for decades. The worst of the worst seems to be far too many of our big corporations who kowtow to Xi Jinping on a daily basis. They do not enforce or respect worker rights at all. Lawmakers are also questioning Nike and Adidas for allegedly importing products made by forced labor in China. Similarly, U.S. telecom giant Cisco recently came under fire for helping the CCP to monitor Falun Gong practitioners who are undergoing brutal persecution in China for their spiritual practice. The case was first brought up back in 2011, but an appeals court just last week ruled that the lawsuit may proceed. In the face of an ever more assertive China, lawmakers are demanding more auditing transparency while urging U.S. corporations to prioritize human rights over profits. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. Some labor relations coming up in what would be the first dual strike since 1960. The Actors Union is on the precipice of a walkout to join writers in their industrial action. It's good to have you back with us. We're continuing with the entertainment industry. A potential Hollywood shutdown is in the spotlight. Major film and television studios and the Actors Union failed to reach an agreement by the Wednesday midnight deadline. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the looming walkout. The SAG-AFTRA Actors Union says it will recommend a strike to the national board. The union is demanding higher compensation in the streaming TV era, and they want safeguards around the use of AI. Actor Matt Damon said on AP Entertainment that actors would strike to protect those on the margins. 26000 bucks a year is what you have to make to get your health insurance, and, and there are a lot of people who residual payments are what carry them across that threshold. As the deadline for a strike loomed, some actors joined striking writers. Actor Mike Nelson says everybody in the industry is hurting now. Without the actors, you can't film a thing going forward. Um, you can't even promote stuff. Nelson says the film studios have kicked a hornet's nest. I'm ready to walk for as long as it takes to get a fair contract. Brianna Benford says she's ready to do what it takes to make a difference. I'm happy to support in any way. I feel like a change is desperately needed. So whatever we have to do to make that happen. Striking writer Joelle Selner says actors going on strike is a game changer, explaining that although studios have stockpiled scripts and have things in the pipeline, you really can't do anything without actors. With writers on strike since May, Hollywood now faces a double strike, something the industry hasn't seen since 1960. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers has declined to comment about its talks with the Actors Union. The union's national board is scheduled to meet at 9 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday for a final strike vote. Pickets could start later the same day. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Iowa lawmakers have passed a six-week abortion ban. State senators passed the bill late Tuesday night in a 32-17 to 17 vote, mostly along party lines. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds announced she will sign the bill on Friday. The measure will outlaw abortions with limited exceptions after cardiac activity can be detected. One Democratic lawmaker fought to grant exceptions for pregnant children aged 12 or under. 
Republicans rejected that amendment. The bill does not hold a woman criminally liable for having the procedure, and abortions after six weeks are allowed in the case of rape, incest, or a fetal abnormality, which a doctor deems severe. A legal challenge was filed just hours after lawmakers' approval of the bill. Several groups, including Planned Parenthood, are behind the effort. Iowa will be among 12, 15 states which have banned most abortions since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June last year. High levels of a chemical irritant were in the air following the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. That's a conclusion of a study published yesterday into February's accident. The study was done by researchers from Carnegie Mellon and Texas A&M universities. They discovered dangerously high concentrations of the chemical archoline almost two weeks after evacuees were told they could return. Acrolein was not among the chemicals spilled in the incident, but levels in the air were up to six times the normal level. The chemical is known to cause irritation to the eyes and skin and has been linked to increased cancer risk. Authors of the study say there is an ongoing need to monitor the air quality at crash sites where chemicals were spilled, as more contaminants could be found in the soil during cleanup. And our coverage coming up just before addressing NATO, President Biden assured Ukraine's president of ongoing support from the U.S. That's after the European leader criticized NATO just a day earlier. And one of Britain's leading TV news anchors was identified by his wife on Wednesday in the sex photo scandal. We have that and more after the break. Welcome back. The NATO summit wrapped up yesterday and Ukraine was left without a direct path toward membership. However, President Biden met with President Volodymyr Zelensky and promised ongoing support for Ukraine. Entities Arian Pastar reports. But I promise you, the United States is doing everything we can to get you what you need as rapidly as we can get it to you. President Biden on Wednesday assuring Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky of ongoing support from the U.S. That's after Zelensky on Tuesday posted this tweet, saying it's unprecedented and absurd when a time frame is not set for Ukraine to become a NATO member. On Wednesday morning, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg responded to that. He announced a plan aimed at bringing Ukraine closer to the alliance. While on stage with Zelensky, Biden and G7 members, Stoltenberg said that Ukraine is now closer to NATO than ever before. Allies reaffirmed that Ukraine will become a member of the alliance. In Wednesday's one-on-one -on -one with Zelensky, Biden said he convinced other NATO members to continue guaranteeing Ukraine's security until the country becomes a NATO member. And I started to sell that idea to other heads of state. There was no, re there was no reluctance. There was no, 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 I don't want to, it was everybody just said, okay, and sign on. At the end of their talk, a reporter asked Zelensky about his Tuesday tweet, in which he criticized NATO. President Zelensky, are you satisfied with what you got from NATO? You were so frustrated yesterday. Is this enough? Are you satisfied, sir? 
I think from time to the end of summit, we, we had great unity from our leaders and security guarantees that the success for this summit. I think so, but it's my opinion. Thank you. Biden's and NATO's comments seem like a strong change, of course, as just days ago they said Ukraine wasn't ready to become a part of NATO. Arian Pastar, NTD News. The BBC presenter at the center of a sex photo scandal has been named. Hugh Edwards, one of Britain's leading news anchors, was named by his wife as the man who's been accused of paying a teenager for sexually explicit photos. It ends days of speculation around a story that has dominated UK media. The news was announced on Wednesday by the BBC itself, alongside a statement from Hugh Edwards' wife, Vicky Flynn. Hugh is suffering from serious mental health issues. The events of the last few days have greatly worsened matters. He has suffered another serious episode and is now receiving inpatient hospital care, where he'll stay for the foreseeable future. Flynn said she was making a statement out of concern for Edward's mental health and to protect their children. The story was first broken by Britain's Sun tabloid last week, reporting a leading BBC presenter had paid a young person around $45,000 for explicit photos over three years, beginning when the person was 17. That detail was a focus of the media attention that followed, as the age of consent for sex in England is 16, but images of someone under 18 can be considered child pornography. The BBC at that point suspended the presenter but didn't name him, while several other BBC stars took to social media to clear their names. London's Metropolitan Police said on Wednesday it had concluded its assessment into the allegations and found that there was no indication a criminal offence had been committed. Edwards, who has five children, has worked for the BBC since 1984 and has anchored its flagship BBC News at 10 bulletin for more than two decades. He's the broadcaster's highest paid news presenter. He announced the death of Queen Elizabeth to the nation in September and has led coverage of the biggest events in Britain since the turn of the century, including elections, royal weddings and the 2012 Olympics. In her statement, his wife said Hugh intends to respond to the stories that have been published, once well enough to do so. And now some short headlines from around the world. Record rainfall is prompting India's capital to evacuate hundreds of residents. A New Delhi official says the rainfall has swelled the Yamuna River that runs through the city. Areas near Delhi have received record rainfall so far this monsoon season. At least 66 people have been killed in India so far. The man arrested in the hostage standoff at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas caused over $50,000 in damage. Authorities say Matthew Mannix is a fugitive in a Colorado kidnapping case. The standoff Tuesday lasted over five hours. A judge set bail at $750,000. The Wagner Mercenary Group is completing its handover of weapons to Russia's regular armed forces. Russia's defense ministry said yesterday Wagner had transferred more than 2,000 pieces of equipment and over 2,500 tons of ammunition. This follows the group's short-lived mutiny last month. And coming up, new numbers came out yesterday showing annual inflation in the U.S. has slowed to its lowest level since March 2021. What does that mean for you? 
And is your tax data safe? If you used a tax service company to file, it may have ended up in big tax hands. They allegedly have your income information and refund amount. We delve into this tax scandal. And a new AI company created by Elon Musk. We take a look at what's known so far about the startup and its goals. That's sorry and more after the break. Welcome back. Tax preparation companies like H&R Block have been sharing taxpayer data with Meta and Google for years. That's what a new congressional probe found. Tens of millions of Americans had not only names and phone numbers shared, but also income and refund amount. Experts are calling this a five-alarm fire. The report found the data was sometimes used without consent for targeted advertising. Some of the other industry giants involved include TaxSlayer and Tax Act. Experts say their actions could lead to lawsuits, both from the federal government and private citizens. They could also face criminal penalties or even go out of business, they said. The company's websites had technology in them that would track users. The report said that data was sent to the tech industry without proper disclosures, and some of the firms don't know if the tech companies still have that data. And we're joined live now by Andrew Selipak, assistant professor at the University of Florida, to discuss this. Great to have you with us, Andrew. Thank you for having me. What kind of lawsuits do we expect to see here after this news broke? Well, you know, the big thing to keep in mind is that we're talking about pixels, which is something that a company decides to put onto their website. It's a little bit of code that they put onto their website. And this is much broader than just these tax companies. There there were uh, plenty of stories earlier in the year. Last year, uh, many companies used this to try to boost advertising, to try to get more advertising revenue. It basically sends data to Facebook, to Meta, and allows them to then target customers, target potential customers. And there have been plenty of class action lawsuits in the past, you know, Facebook, Meta being required to basically pay back users. Uh, so we're very likely to see that there will be class action lawsuits. Whether or not it pays out, uh, who gets paid, uh, will be something to be seen. The difference here is that we're talking about people's tax records as opposed to them going to a website to decide if they want to buy a chicken sandwich. It sounds like some restitution may be in order here. Were there any safeguards in place to prevent this? I mean, it's up to the company whether or not they want to put this code onto their site. Um, and from that perspective, pretty much all companies that are doing, you know, advertising, large companies that are doing advertising on Facebook, on Instagram, are have been using pixels for quite some time. Uh, this has been medical companies. This has been fast food chains. Also, we're now looking at these tax prep companies. So uh, this goes much more beyond just these you know, few tax companies that we're looking at now. I think the difference is, is that when most people consider going onto a website and ordering food, it's not as big of a deal, even if you might be entering some credit card information as opposed to their tax information. But that considering that hospitals are using this, that's, you know, medical information, medical records, I think is just as important as it comes to tax records. No, absolutely. And Andrew, who's more to blame, the tax companies or big tech like Google and Meta? Um, in this particular case, I think the blame goes both ways. Um, Meta knows exactly what they're doing. Google knows exactly what they're doing with Google Analytics. 
whether or not the tax companies are quite aware of how this works and the way it works. Um, but at the end of the day, these tax companies really only exist if they can get new customers and maintain customers. And they don't necessarily care that much what it takes to do that. Um, you know, and from that perspective, whether or not Congress can come in and, and really shut down these companies by you know, basically allowing people to do their taxes in a much easier free way, uh, rather than, you know, many of us being forced to use these companies to file taxes and indicate our income that, you know, in all intents and purposes, the IRS already knows how much money we make. Tax Filing taxes should be much easier. Andrew, H&R Block has a response to this. It says that it takes the privacy of clients very seriously, and they have taken steps to prevent the sharing of information via pixels. So what do you make of this? Uh, it reminds me of every company that puts out a mea culpa and hopes people move on. Really? Wow. So what do we expect to happen next here? Um, again, I think maybe, you know, just sort of more companies being aware of this and not using pixels on their site. But, you know, Facebook, whether and Instagram, Meta as a whole, these tech companies basically gather, collect, sell data. Our own government purchases this data from, you know, the, these different uh, data brokerage companies. And from that perspective, nothing's really going to change. I mean, these companies, these tech companies can't really make the billions of dollars that they do without collecting our data. The only thing that could really happen would be if Congress actually steps up and pass some uh, privacy, data privacy protection laws and regulations, which they have been extremely hesitant to do. And a lot of that's because, again, of money, because whether it's tax companies or whether it's the social media companies or medical companies, they want to collect this data, use this data and put targeted advertising in front of us. And they will lobby Congress to prevent any real data protection laws from being passed. Andrew, you it's point kind to of Washington a sad situation here. At the end of the day. Right, you point to Washington here. And electronic data, as you know, is taking on a bigger role in the global economy. Before Congress has a chance to act on this, how can we keep our tax data safe? Well, you can do your taxes yourself the old-fashioned way, you know, with a paper and pencil. But you know, taxes can become difficult depending on you know where you're getting your money from. Um, you know, TurboTax wasn't kind of part of this. They did admit that they were using pixels, but only for people before the login stage. Um, so there are some tax companies that, although using pixels, weren't offering as much information to Meta. Well, this is some great insight on this very important topic. Andrew Selipak, Assistant Professor at the University of Florida, thank you for your time. Thank you. Elon Musk formally launched a new artificial intelligence company yesterday. The billionaire entrepreneur says its goal will be to understand the true nature of the universe. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the startup. Musk's new company is called XAI. According to the website, it will work closely with Tesla, Twitter, and other companies. Musk co-founded OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT in 2015. He stepped down from the company's board in 2018. The successful entrepreneur has teased plans in the past about starting what he called TruthGPT, a maximum truth-seeking AI. He's criticized OpenAI programming, saying the danger of training AI to be woke, in other words, lie, is deadly. Musk has repeatedly voiced concerns about AI's potential for civilizational destruction. He's said on several occasions that AI needs regulation and that development should be paused. Musk outlined his plan for building a safer artificial intelligence in a Twitter Spaces event Wednesday evening. He says XAI will be maximally curious and try to understand the true nature of the universe instead of having morality programming. 
The startup team includes engineers from Microsoft and Google. The company's website says it's recruiting experienced engineers and researchers in the San Francisco Bay Area. Musk and his team are scheduled to share more information in a live Twitter Spaces chat on Friday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Twitter was hit with a lawsuit Wednesday. The company is being accused of refusing to pay at least $500 million and promised severance to thousands of employees. It involves staff who were laid off after Elon Musk acquired the company. The suit was filed by Courtney McMillian in a San Francisco federal court. McMillian oversaw Twitter's employee benefits programs before she was laid off in January. She claims most workers were promised two months of their base pay plus one week of pay for each full year of service if they were laid off. While senior employees such as McMillian were owed six months of base pay, but the suit claims Twitter only gave laid-off workers at most one month of severance pay. While many got nothing, Twitter laid off more than half of its workforce at a cost-cutting measure after Musk acquired the company in October. The company responded to a request for comment with a poop emoji. The FTC has proposed a rule to rein in marketers who use fake reviews of products. It has also signaled plans to use all available means to target such deceptive advertising. John Talbot from the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University discussed the move. So what the FTC wants to do is go after reviews that are generated by bots that are not reflections of real individuals. They want to get rid of review farms, which are entities that just pump out reviews. And I think particularly concerns about AI are part of why the FTC is uh, concerned and also moving pretty rapidly. The proposed rule would also ban the suppression of negative reviews and paying for positive reviews. Violations could result in hefty fines. Businesses also would not be able to review hijack or repurpose a review that was actually written for one product and used for another. Businesses would also be banned from offering any incentives for writing positive reviews. They also wouldn't be able to make company-controlled review websites or buy fake followers or views on social media. In February, the FTC said a vitamin marketer on Amazon, the Bountiful company, would have to pay back customers $600,000 for review hijacking. That was the first case of its kind. And turning now to the economy. Annual inflation in the U.S. has slowed to its lowest level since March 2021. This is according to data released yesterday from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The annual inflation rate slowed to 3% in June, down from 4% in May. It's good news for consumers at the grocery store, with overall food prices continuing to moderate and the index for meat, poultry, fish and eggs falling in June. Gasoline prices are down 26% from last year. Airfares dropped too, but shelter costs remain stubbornly high, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that accounted for the bulk of the June increase. A new poll is shedding some light on how student loan borrowers spend their money. This comes after the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan. A poll by Intelligent.com finds that more than a third of student loan borrowers spent money they thought they wouldn't have to pay back. This is because they were confident the loans would be forgiven by the Biden administration. The website surveyed nearly 1,000 people who qualified for President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. 
The survey was done earlier this month after the Supreme Court struck down the plan. The poll says 75% of the borrowers were confident that they would receive at least $10,000 in relief. 34% say they spent more money than they otherwise likely would have. 44% of the student borrowers say they spent the money on retail items, while 37% say they used the money to pay off other debts. Now that the debt forgiveness plan has been struck down, 58% of the student borrowers say they are unprepared to resume payments. Only 40% say they are very prepared or somewhat prepared to make the payments. And some of the student borrowers aren't willing to pay their loans. 27% say they are either likely or somewhat likely to refuse to pay the $10,000 in relief they thought they were going to receive. This is while 77% of the student loan borrowers say they disagree with the Supreme Court ruling. You know, Evan, there's a lot we can learn from this. Yeah, for sure, in terms of policy, right? And probably also in, in terms of budgeting, although it sounds like many of them just had to pay off other debt, which is just, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah. And we have some more education news coming up for you, but with a twist. We learn the tale of a mother who unschools her kids. The lesson plan has a lot of flexibility and even includes field trips to the beach. And an angry otter has repeatedly stolen surfboards from riders in California. Hear the story about America's most wanted furry bandit when we come back. Welcome back. Okay, Evelyn, let's talk about school. What sounds like more fun, a field trip to the beach in Hawaii or a standardized test? Oh. How would I ever decide? <laughs> yeah. You know, I love math. Okay. I'm just joking. No, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Good one. Okay. Hawaii. So, but which one makes you more prepared for the real world? <laughs> Sounds like a trick question, <laughs> but I'll answer that one. I mean, I, I think tests fail to, you know, prepare you for many things, but definitely more than lying at a beach. So. Mm, okay. Interesting perspective. Well, there is some debate on that, and some say that the field trip opens new doors. So we find out a little bit more about this open-ended approach. Here's a look at the story of a mother who's unschooling her three children. Take a look. Haley Celeste Miller is a marketer and a stay-at-home mom in Maui, Hawaii. She wanted to give her kids the opportunity to explore their passions through unschooling and help them break out of what she calls the programming of working for 40 years at 40 hours a week and getting a 40% pension. Here's a typical day. Um, so every day varies. Right now we're in sports, so that does take up a lot of our time. Um, we normally, we wake up, we put on a song, we make breakfast together. Um, I always have school books out, so I have, you know, math, reading, writing, literature, and if they choose to pick it up, awesome. If they don't, awesome. Only about a quarter of Americans had faith in the U.S. public school system as of last year. That follows a set lesson plan. In unschooling, however, the learner's curiosity drives the curriculum. Caleb likes to fish, so he's free to learn more about tying different lines. He's also interested in hunting, so he decided to study and get his hunting safety license. They follow the Christian-based lesson plan, and Miller says she brings religion into the lessons. Whenever we leave the ocean, or whenever we leave a hike, or whenever we go and we gather fruit, or whatever, like, the essence of God is in everything we do. You know, you'll hear my kids, thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, ocean. Thank you, beach. And like, you know, they're just thanking everything. And so I feel like in the day-to-day -day role, God 
it's a conversation. They learn to feed the chickens at the farm and water the kalo fruit they produce. A lot of hands-on experience. But some critics of unschooling say it leaves the possibility of students missing out on critical information due to the lack of structure. On the other hand, the flexible schedule fosters more quality time. Because you build this beautiful family bond and yeah, we fight and yeah, they argue. And at the end of the day, though, it's like we all cuddle up together and we read a book and we talk story and we talk about how our day was and we're laughing, you know, and um, I think they actually like my son actually gets to see his siblings and who they are. It's not just in glimpses of time where you're at school all day and then you come home and you're tired and you're doing homework and we got to get to wrestling practice. So where will their unschooling take them? According to a survey by KQED of 75 adults with unschooling experience, over 80% went on to higher education. That really does look like a lot of fun and a lot of work for the parents. You have to be up for the challenge. Oh, yeah, that's right, because your classroom, so to speak, changes all the time, right? And how do you incorporate that? Also, how presumptuous of me that I thought that everybody li just lies around at a beach like my lazy butt. No. <laughs> There's a lot to do at the yeah, beach. Exactly. But before we end, you have to see this. An angry otter has repeatedly stolen surfboards from riders in Santa Cruz, California. The sea otter was not too pleased with some local servers invading her space. Watch as this five-year-old female bites the surfboard before hopping on top, seemingly shooing the surfer away. U.S. Fish and Wildlife says the same otter showed this unusual behavior last year. In a statement, they said due to the due to the public safety risk, they're trying to tr capture and rehome her. That seems a bit extreme to me, but I mean, look at her. She's basically your elderly neighbor yelling at kids to get off my lawn. It's got some athletic talent, that otter. I know, right? <laughs> There's a lot of wildlife out there. Yeah, it is. Uh, fun stories. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.